Lord, we thank you for loving us. Even when we have rejected you, you still love us. Even when we have turned away because of circumstances and trials and tribulations in our lives, you still love us. And we are reminded as our brother Forrest comes to share the word of God that even when Peter rejected you, you still loved Peter. God, we thank you for this amazing love that you have for us. And so, Lord, as Forrest comes to share with us, may we have an ear to hear. May our hearts be open and our hands be extended out to continually receive the love that you have for your children. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I was in sixth grade, 12 years old, doing what 12-year-olds often do. We went to the local mall on a Saturday with one of my friends, wandered around looking for something to laugh at or try to figure out. We stopped at a game store and perused all the different games, many of which I had never seen before. We went to the Foot Locker and looked at the newest Nike Air Jordans. We went to the arcade and wasted a couple dollars on a motorcycle racing game. It was a pretty normal way to spend a Saturday. But this time, something unusual happened. We decided to cruise into one of the department stores, Maisie and F, to be exact. And we weren't looking for anything in particular, just wandering around, wondering what we might, might find. We wandered past that pungent perfume table, and then to the huge jeans section. And then we saw this Ralph Lauren polo display. And we were just starting to get educated in what cool clothes were and what was cool. And, and, but we knew enough to know that polo was cool. This polo display didn't have any clothes, or didn't, or didn't only have clothes, but also other stuff, other polo gear, including golf balls. Somehow we decided that we really wanted one of those golf balls. The problem was that cost $27. <laughs> we already wasted a couple of dollars playing video games, and $27 is a total ripoff for a couple of golf balls. And Made enough, it's clearly making plenty of money right now. And who would miss a couple of golf balls anyway? So we stole one. Each of us, we stole one of those golf balls. We slipped out of the store and we got back into the mall, thrilled by our ingenuity and beating the system and relieved that we had made it out. We're talking and bouncing the ball and laughing. And then it happened. Two men in suits came up behind us. They asked us where we got the golf balls. I don't remember what happened next. <laughs> All I remember is that sick to my stomach feeling. I was caught. The next few hours were a blur. The security officers showed us the surveillance video. They called the police. The police took us to the juvenile detention center. I wanted to run and hide. I wanted someone just to fix this, somehow fix it. In the midst of my tears of self-pity rolling down my face, 
I remember saying again and again to the policemen and women, I'm a good kid. I, I get good grades. You can ask my teachers. I promise. I'm a good kid. Didn't really help. And then the worst part, they called my parents. <laughs> I, I, like, what was I thinking? They wouldn't call my parents. But somehow I thought, <laughs> maybe I'll, they'll believe I'm a good kid and they won't tell my parents. Well, I couldn't stand it in my parents, especially my dad, hearing this. I'd failed my dad. I'd embarrassed our family. I'd rejected all that my dad had taught me about doing the right thing. I'd blown it big time. I didn't see any way out. I was face to face with this terrible choice that I had made. I was miserable. In our text today, we see Peter experiencing something similar, even worse, on his lowest of low days. But before we get there, I want to back up a little and kind of see where we come on this journey with Peter as he's been tasting the goodness of the Lord through the book of Mark as we've been going through this semester. Remember, Jesus came onto the scene saying the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus goes around and starts showing people what this kingdom of God is like, what does it look like when God reigns. And when God reigns, people are healed and delivered. And he, and he starts talking about this. And we saw this in the miracles where when Mindy talked about the, the five loaves and the two fish from the little boy that Jesus used to feed thousands. And how Jesus reached down to the water and rescued Peter when he, got, when he was afraid as Jesus, the Lord of creation, walks on water and rescues us out of our our sinking waves. And we heard last week about the way that Jesus' love and this kingdom is not just for Israel, for one small group, but it's for all people. Maybe especially those we didn't think were included. Those are included in this kingdom. We saw Peter not only hearing about this, but actually being empowered and sent out to heal and deliver himself. To show this is what it looks like when God reigns. This is all happening. Last week, after the text Kent preached in last week, then Peter got it, kind of. And for the first time said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one who has come to make everything right, to set the world right, make it the way it was meant to be again. And Jesus starts to teach them, you're right, Peter, but I'm going to do that by suffering. And dying, not the way you expect to be this political superhero who's going to come in and fix everything. Peter didn't understand that part. And so we're going to fast forward now. Maybe uh, I would, an idea for you, if you haven't read the book of Mark recently, if you start reading a chapter two a day by Easter, you'd be done. It'd be a great way to kind of prepare for, for Good Friday and Easter. And, and we're going to skip ahead all the way to chapter 14. Where Jesus has this last supper with the disciples, and again, he tries, he tries to explain to them how he's going to suffer, and they don't understand. And he says, actually, all of you guys are going to flee. You're going to run away. And Peter says, no, not me. And Jesus says, actually, today, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. They go out to the garden to pray. Jesus invites Peter and James and John especially to come pray with him. They're so tired. And they fall asleep. When they wake, they see the crowd of soldiers coming from the chief priests to arrest Jesus. And they arrest Jesus. And here's where we pick it up. Chapter 14, verse 53. The soldiers took Jesus to the high priest. 
and the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. So while Peter's outside warming himself, Jesus is being accused falsely inside. They try to trump up charges against him, right? And, and, and try to figure out a way to, to condemn him because they see him as a threat. And so in verse 66, we pick it up again. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cockerel crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cockerel crowed for a second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cockerel crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter, our bold Peter, follows Jesus boldly to the, to the courtyard. But then the servant girl, the lowest ranking one there, not a threat, recognizes him. Maybe she saw him when he was arrested. Maybe she had seen him with Jesus some other time. Maybe she was even someone who had listened to Jesus and wanted to follow him. Maybe she just recognized his accent. We're not sure. But somehow she recognizes him. And Peter denies that he knows Jesus the first time. The rooster crows and Peter doesn't get the warning. He doesn't catch it, right? And so again, she does it. Some others around. And then a third group this time probably recognizing his accent. This has got to be you with him. And Peter, no, I swear, I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. He curses. And then that rooster crows again. And Peter is caught. He remembers Jesus' words. He remembers Jesus' prediction. And he knows that he's just denied him. What he said he promised he wouldn't do. And he's rejected him in front of these others. This is a simple definition of what sin is. It's when we reject, when we reject God. That's what sin is, rejecting God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden when the serpent came and said, hey, take this apple. They looked at it and said, yeah, actually, God, you said there's a way to get knowledge of good and evil with you, but I don't want your way. God, I'm rejecting that you are loving toward me. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm rejecting that you're good and have goodness actually in store here. God, I don't want you. I got me. And so they rejected God and his ways. And ever since, we've been rejecting God and his ways. This rejection of God is manifest in lots of different ways. And we could come up with a bunch of lists. Maybe the first list we think of is the big three. 
I got a big three. Okay, so I don't do those. Those are the sin. That's it. That's the rejection of God. That's what it looks like. Or maybe add a couple on there, whatever yours are you think of when you think of the ways our rejection of God is manifest in sinful actions. We could come with lists. There are lists. There are lists in the Bible. They're helpful lists. We talked about one last semester in Galatians 5, the acts of the sinful nature, ways this is manifest. One of the ways I think maybe kind of a big picture way to think about it is this is manifest. Our rejection of God is manifest whenever we don't love God and love others. Any way we don't love God and love others, that's what it looks like when, that's how it looks like on the ground, this rejection of God and his ways. The early church came up with the categories of the seven deadly sins they ended up being called that, that were ways of saying these are the kind of the root kind of causes of other rejections of God, but these are the first manifestations of our rejections of God. These seven deadly sins is what it looks like in our lives. So we could come up with lists. But one of the things we learn also from the early church and from the saints, starting with Paul, is Paul who calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, I'm the worst of the sinners. And all the saints that we know as they got to know God, the more they got to know God, the more they realized their sinfulness. The more their eyes were open to the ways that they have rejected God and the way that's manifest in their lives. And so the list isn't what we need. What we need is, as we draw near to God, his spirit convicting us, showing us the ways that we rejected him and the ways when we're caught, we become face-to-face with our sin and brokenness, with our own rejection of God that we all carry. And so Peter tasted that rejection, tasted that, what it felt like to be face-to-face. I think in that moment, as he, as that rooster crows the second time, I think the Spirit of God convicted him and reminded him, Peter, look what you've done. Peter, you've rejected the one who you said you loved. So what does a God who is righteous and holy do with a people who have rejected him? What does a God who is all goodness do with a people who have chosen evil? What does a God who is all light choose to do with a people who have chosen darkness? What does that God do? Peter, the one who was firsthand had tasted this rejecting of God, he came to experience the answer to what this God does. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter says this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. See, Jesus, Peter knows, he learned, Jesus took our rejection of God on himself and he hung it on himself on a cross. He carried our rejection of God so that we could be free from sin and live for righteousness, live as in the freedom of the children of God, live as sheep who once were astray and dark and lost and weeping and bitter and have nowhere to go, and we could be free and whole again in him. See, sin is serious. Sin is really serious. Sin is deadly serious. Sin is horrible. Sin is terrible. And the worst is horrible, horrible, horrible 
destruction to us and others. Sin is serious, but God's grace to us in Jesus is more serious. God's grace revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ is more serious than ever our sin could be or will be. And we see that particularly as we look towards this cross on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday that sin does not have the last word, but Jesus has the last word. As he conquers death, as he hangs on that cross, that we will be free from sin to live in righteousness as his children. Sin is serious, but God's grace is in Jesus Christ is more serious. Man, will you come up and pray for us? Lord God, thank you that your victory in Jesus is more true and more powerful than sin ever could be. Thank you that you bore our rejection on that cross even when we had nothing to give but our own self-pitying tears and you took us and brought us back, our sheep, back to our shepherd. And so we... Continue to worship you now and look towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Amen.